This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, said that interest rates would have to rise further than expected in light of high inflation. Investors reckon the bank could lift the base rate by as much as one percentage point from 2.25% at its meeting in early November. Mr. Bailey's intervention followed 24 hours of market-inspired chaos in British politics. On Friday, Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, fired Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and scrapped a plan to cut corporation tax. In a further attempt to calm jittery bond markets, Jeremy Hunt, Mr. Kwarteng's replacement, told British broadcasters that he would raise taxes and cut public spending. Ukraine's energy operator, Ukrainergo, warned of possible blackouts in Kyiv, the capital, and urged residents to use less power after Russian missiles hit energy infrastructure near the city. Meanwhile, the Pentagon approved a further $725 million in military aid for Ukraine. Among other things, the new package will replenish ammunition supplies for the HIMARS rocket systems that have helped Ukrainian forces wreak havoc on Russian troops. A pair of gunmen opened fire at a military training ground in southwestern Russia, killing at least 11 people. Some 15 others were wounded. Moscow's defense ministry labeled the incident a, quote, terrorist attack. The perpetrators, who were both shot dead, were nationals of an unnamed former Soviet nation. The incident is the latest setback for Russian forces since its invasion of its neighbor. In recent weeks, a Ukrainian counteroffensive has left them in disarray. Elon Musk appeared to promise that his satellite internet company, Starlink, would continue providing the service for free in Ukraine, reversing his earlier threat that the arrangement could not continue, quote, indefinitely. The billionaire wrote on Twitter that he would keep the terminals running, quote, even though Starlink is still losing money, though many interpreted his comments as sarcasm. Earlier, the Pentagon hinted that it was considering stepping in to help. An explosion at a coal mine in northern Turkey killed at least 28 people. Rescuers have so far evacuated 11 miners, but dozens remain trapped underground. Turkey's energy minister, Fatih Donmez, said the blast may have been triggered by fire damp, a flammable gas found in some coal mines. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced plans to visit the site. Thousands of Tunisians took to the streets of Tunis, the capital, to protest against shortages of petrol and food, and what they consider to be the illegitimate power grabs of Kais Sayed, the president. Once regarded as the sole democratic success story of the 2011 Arab uprisings, Tunisia has lately taken a decidedly authoritarian turn. Having suspended and then dissolved the parliament, in July, Mr. Sayed pushed through a new constitution expanding his own powers. The UN warned that around half of Haiti's population of 9.9 million are at risk of acute hunger. Almost 20,000 people face famine. Many live in slums controlled by violent criminals. The crisis in Haiti has reached a boiling point in the past month. Last week, the government asked the UN for armed help to tackle the gangs. 
and word of the week, Siloviki, Russia's privileged securocrats. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. A showcase of Xi Jinping's power. The five-yearly Congress of China's Communist Party opens on Sunday. Not since the time of Mao Zedong has a Congress been so clearly aimed at emphasizing the power of a single leader. The week-long session, meticulously stage-managed, will make the case that only Xi Jinping can lead China towards its goal of, quote, great rejuvenation. Mr. Xi will kick things off with a speech full of praise for the party's achievements. He's likely to highlight the elimination of extreme poverty, which the party said it achieved last year. Mr. Xi's draconian zero-COVID policy will be declared a great victory. There will be stern words about Taiwan, but the speech will skate over problems such as China's sputtering economy and property crisis. By convention, Mr. Xi, having served two five-year terms, should retire, but there is no doubt he will remain party chief when the new Politburo is revealed on the day after the Congress, and don't expect to see an obvious successor in the mix. Global Hunger on the Rise On Sunday, millions of people around the world will gather at marches, marathons, and concerts to observe the UN's World Food Day. But the mood will be sour. Global grain prices, which fell over the summer, have climbed back to where they were soon after Russia invaded Ukraine. A strong dollar and weak economic growth have squeezed household and government budgets. The World Food Program reckons a record 345 million people are facing acute food insecurity, up from 193 million in 2021. A longer-term difficulty is that food supply may fall short of demand. The bumper crop, including Russia's record wheat harvest that stopped this year from becoming a catastrophe, are unlikely to be repeated. Farmers skimping on expensive fertilizers may also dampen yields. A UN-brokered deal under which Russia has allowed grain exports from Ukrainian ports expires in November, and its extension is uncertain. The seeds of disaster are being sown. Putin sparks new energy into CND. The Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, a British lobby group, was formed in the early years of the Cold War. Its emblem has become a visual byword for peace. The CND's membership peaked at 110,000 in 1985 and has since fallen to around 30,000. But Kate Hudson, its general secretary, says its ranks are now growing again as Vladimir Putin's war makes a new generation concerned about nuclear threats. On Sunday, the CND will march on Menwith Hill, a British and American intelligence base in Yorkshire. Such gatherings are a staple of the movement. In the 1980s, campaigners fought to remove American cruise missiles from RAF Greenham Common in Berkshire. Now the CND is protesting against the return of NATO nukes to an American base at RAF Lankenheath in Suffolk. Members believe that the risk of nuclear war is higher than it has ever been. 
LeBron James's ultimate slam dunk. When Kareem Abdul-Jabbar retired from the NBA in 1989, he held the record for the highest number of points scored in a career. Mr. Abdul-Jabbar racked up 38,387 points across 20 seasons, 14 of them at the Los Angeles Lakers. But barring injury or an inexplicable drop in form, his record will soon be broken. As of Sunday, the start of the 2022-23 season, LeBron James, who also plays for the Lakers, is only 1,325 points behind. Todd Whitehead of Synergy Sports, a basketball analytics company, has calculated the cumulative chance of Mr. James breaking Mr. Abdul-Jabbar's record in each regular season match based on his participation and scoring rates over the past three seasons. His percentage chances reach double digits on February 23rd, when the Lakers host the Golden State Warriors. His odds then rise quickly to 35% against the Minnesota Timberwolves on March 3rd, and to 50% against the Memphis Grizzlies four days later. By the end of the season in April, it's virtually a slam dunk. Arise, King James. Weekend Profile Mohamed Rostami Gachi, Iran's Brutal Enforcer It was his rapid promotion that surprised many. Just a few months into his post as the police chief of Talesh, an Iranian provincial backwater, Mohamed Rostami Gachi was promoted to head the Islamic Republic's morality police, 400 kilometers away in the capital, Tehran. Previous Iranian governments had never thought much of him, but the incoming administration of Ibrahim Raisi in 2021 admired Mr. Gachi's hardline beliefs. Shortly after taking the job, he declared his intention to enforce the mandatory veil for women, which had fallen loose under the pragmatist presidency of Hassan Rouhani. Quote, those who stubbornly remove the hijab are criminals, Mr. Gachi told Iran's press. Over the following months, he reactivated the morality police. Their men in dark green uniforms and women in black shadors scoured the streets hunting for infringements of sharia. They broke up bands jamming in cafes. They hauled girls caught for, quote, bad hijabs away in their windowless vans and took them to facilities for, quote, re-education. Sometimes they gave them a beating. And then, on September 13th, Mr. Gachi's men carted away 22-year-old Masa Amini to her death three days later, for improperly wearing the veil. The popular protests that this sparked had, in truth, been some time in the making. Under Mr. Rouhani, Iran breathed more easily with an unwritten contract. Leave the clerics to wield power, and let society live as it wants. The Islamic Republic shrank into an Islamic government. Mr. Raisi's determination to turn the clock back and apply sharia to an ever more secular population tipped resentment into civil disobedience. Even before Ms. Amini was killed, female students were spilling out of their segregated campus canteens into male ones. Women on buses and the metro disregarded even their token nod to a head covering. The mullah's crackdown might have been easier to digest had they practiced the moral strictures they preached. But while people's incomes declined, Mullah's sons ostentatiously combed Tehran's highway in their Ferraris. 
and some questioned Mr. Gachi's standards of enforcement when it came to his own. His brother accumulated businesses in their hometown of Kermanshah. As protest against Ms. Amini's death spread, costing so far more than 200 lives, Mr. Gachi's patrols disappeared from the streets. Western governments have imposed sanctions against him and his morality police for, quote, spreading a culture of violence and excessive force. For Mr. Gachi, they were just spreading Islam. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Maznun Bujang, Kunching, Malaysia, North America, Wendy King, Sherbrooke, Canada, Central and South America, Kayo Prishkulnik, Africa, Ailsa Green, Choma, Zambia, Oceania, Andrew McMenamin, Lincoln, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Joshua, Rocky Balboa, Smokey Robinson, Zion, and Bryce Dallas Howard. The theme is U.S. National Parks, Joshua Tree, Rocky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountains, Zion, and Bryce Canyon. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Virgil. They can because they think they can. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.